Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to episode number 79 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Stacy Ross, a host on Seattle Sports. We'll discuss the Mariners news at the winter meetings and her career in radio. We'll discuss this Jared Kelnick trade as well, and man, Lyle, it seems like there is a whirlwind coming out of Nashville. We will try and tame it here on this show. Before we start this show, here's your reminder to download our episodes, leave us a five-star review, and follow the show if you're listening to the podcast. That's the audio side. If you do that, go do all those things. They help us out a ton, and if you're watching... Make sure to subscribe, like, comment on YouTube. How about like, comment, subscribe? That's That flows a little better. On YouTube, full video side of the podcast over there. And then follow us on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Tuesday evening, December 5th. And Lyle, it pains me to say to you, the day has come that Jared Kelnick is no longer a Seattle Mariner. How do you feel? I mean, you can guess. Sucks. Fucking sucks. Now now, Now I'm like in search of a new favorite Mariner, dude. This is here's a jersey that's gone to waste. This sucks. Yeah, what are you gonna do with that? Are you gonna frame it? Or are you gonna tuck it away? You're gonna you're gonna be like, I'm always you're always gonna have a spot in my heart, JK. No, I'll still wear it. He he, oh, he does always have a spot in my heart. Plus, you know I love that color, that spring training blue. Even though you don't like it, I love it. So I will still wear I that jersey. It- I think it'll boil down to a lot of what his farewell post on Instagram said, supporting him over supporting the franchise. Listen, what did I tweet out when he got traded on Sunday night? I said, he's got a fan in me no matter where he goes. It's funny. I have seen some people being like, I'm now a Braves fan because Jared's gone. I'm not quite like that. But yes, I will root for Jared Kelnick wherever he goes. If you've listened to this podcast, if you follow us on social media, you know, that's been my guy forever. I mean, since he was traded here. and and. Like, I kind of even want to reminisce for a minute to the day him and Logan debuted. I have never been more excited to go to a baseball game at that point in my lifetime than that day when they debuted because that Kelnick trade was the first big signal of here's what it could look like if the rebuild works. A blue chip top 10 upside prospect that ended up being a top four to five guy when he debuted coming up with a high end pitcher. It's like, the future's now. That's what it felt like that day. And I'm glad Logan's worked out, but man, I just like the downfall kind of since then really, really sucks. That was a fun day. I remember that day 
I uh, pre-gamed in the back of my car. That was fun. That was to start it off. It was me and the guy. There was a guy next to me, and I've never seen for a May Mariners game coming off, you know, a pretty average 2020 season and us not expecting a winner in 2021. You know, I'm sitting in the back of my car, having parked there. I have a tall boy of alcohol waiting to go in. And I hadn't, like, I'm with you, Lyle. I really hadn't felt that excited to be at a Mariner game in forever. And you and I, when we're in the stadium, like, and, and your brother was there and your, your friend John as well, we're, we're all there in the stadium sitting up there in the 300 level, like, just <laughs> so excited about this. And it unfortunately has not worked out for Jared. I don't think that excitement has been replicated for myself outside of that, outside of the game three of the ALDS. I mean, really, it has not been replicated at a Mariner game and it certainly hasn't been replicated for anything Jared Kelnick has done. And it just sucks to see that he, the way he goes out as a Mariner is as a salary dump. Like, <laughs> okay, we're, we're just about to get into the trade, but just to kind of wrap up our feelings, like, like how we felt when he was gone and tying it all back to that game he debuted. Like, like here's, here's something to really give you a realization of, wow, things have just changed drastically in a couple of years. I remember they ran out on the field that night and it was Kelnick in left. It was Kyle Lewis in center coming off winning rookie of the year. And it was Mitch Hanniger in right. And remember Lewis had just gotten healthy a couple weeks prior. Mitch had missed all of 2020 and a lot of 2019. The Mariners had had issues in the outfield for a while, like not a lot of impact. I remember looking at all three of you. I said, look at that outfield. That is fucking gorgeous. I was so fired up to see those guys all in unison out there. And Julio wasn't even up yet, obviously, because it was a year prior. But I was so fired up at the time, and I genuinely believed this dude was going to be a perennial all-star for the Mariners and the guy that truly jump-started the turnaround. And obviously, he had his flashes. The, like, last April, what he did, I was over the moon seeing him do that. I felt like he was finally here. But for some reasons that kind of feel like some bad faith reasons, he is no longer here. As a result, he got traded. And that outfield lasted, I think, one week. Exactly. Wasn't it? No, it was a Monday. We were there on a Monday. And no, 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 was, it was a Thursday. Oh, it was a Thursday. Okay, so it, might, it lasted a weekend then. Yeah, because Kyle Lewis got hurt on Sunday. I thought it was a series later Lewis got hurt. I thought it was like a couple weeks later. Wasn't it late May Lewis got hurt? Mm -hmm. I, think I think it was. was that weekend. We'll have to go back and check. Yeah, we, we will have to go back and check. Because I remember I went to go see Jared again, I think on Sunday. And we were, we were, we were in the pen. And yeah, I Sad. remember that. So that is uh, that is kind of unfortunate. Okay, let's stop. Let's stop dancing around it. Let's just get get to this trade. The full trade Kelnick to the Braves, Marco Gonzalez to the Braves, Evan White, who made his uh, who made a, a, his long awaited. I don't know if it was a debut, but we spent more time on him on Friday's episode than I think you and I have probably ever <laughs> spent talking about him on this podcast and his name resurfaces. He's headed to the Atlanta Braves along with four and a half million dollars. And the Mariners get a former second-round pick of the Braves in 2022 out of high school in Texas, Cole Phillips, and a former first-round pick of Jackson Coar. As I said earlier, this is a straight salary dump from this deal. The Mariners will save $24 million over the next two seasons, and they get one high upside arm who's coming off Tommy John and another who has probably been the worst pitcher in baseball in the three seasons he has pitched at the big league level. Man, this is the kind of stuff you get when you're trying to shed salary, and that's what the Mariners have gotten on this trade. 
If we want to talk about the players the Mariners got back, we can save that for a little bit. But let's talk about what the Mariners gave up first. And here's what I wanted to get to with Kelnick when I said it feels like maybe he's off this team now for bad faith reasons. Jared Kelnick, who has had an up and down time with the Mariners and started to break out and flash a little bit in 23, currently has five years of club control. Five. He is not a free agent until after 2028. Does Jerry DePoto usually trade guys like that away willingly? Absolutely not. Almost never. You would think of anything if they really thought Kelnick needed more time, even if he was 24 years old and they wanted to see other guys, they just start to play him on the bench a little bit more. He's still at another minor league option. If you really wanted to send him back down, it doesn't make a lot of sense in Jerry. It doesn't make a lot of sense that Jerry DePoto would go trade a guy like that away who has the upside he has, the club control he has. And is at a position of need. The Mariners need outfielders. So this feels to me like something in that relationship was strained. And I don't know if it has something to do with Kelnick having issues controlling his emotions over the years. I don't know if it's something to do that we don't know about. But it just feels like something is off in that relationship now. Because that is so unlike DePoto to trade a guy, uh, trade away a guy like that with that much club control. So that was probably a reason for it. But in the end, they they needed to attach someone to, to ditch the salary, which is really the meat of this issue. Like the Mariners could have had a slight issue with how Jared Kelnick handled his emotions or how they didn't like his strikeouts at the plate, which I think is something that's flying under the radar a little bit with this trade. They shed another massive strikeout problem or at least current strikeout problem in the lineup with Jared for most of the season last year, sitting over 30% K rate. They have now rid that out of their own outfield. So that's a little bit of it. But the meat of this is the fact that the Mariners feel like to actually make an impact move, they have to save $24 million in two seasons, and they have to lose a starting outfielder to do that. I mean, make no mistake, just strikeouts are all. I mean, Jared Kelnick was slotted to be your starting outfielder this season, and now the Mariners have two. Sorry, they don't have two. The Mariners have one outfielder who has major league, legit major league experience penciled in for last year so the fact that they had to do this to save 24 million dollars despite all of jared kelnick's flaws or how you believe in his future is pretty damning that's what i'm gonna say the number just seems to go up every week we record an off-season podcast doesn't it because here's now where we're at we said at the start of the off-season the mariners need two bats after they've traded a eugenio suarez we said the mariners now need four uh, three bats And now here we sit after trading away Jared Kelnick. They need four bats this winter, dude. They need a third baseman. They need a DH. And they need two outfielders. So I hope there's a plan in place. I know DePoto's talked about this week. They plan to go add multiple bats. But you've got four spots to fill. And I'm starting to get very, very uneasy about the idea of them putting Luis Urias out there on opening day at third base. It feels like more and more... That's the direction we're headed, and I do not like that. How consequential is this Evan White contract now? I mean, holy shit. I mean, Marco is going to make $12 million next year, but it's not like Evan White is making chump chains for the next three seasons on his contract. Judging the circumstances, Lyle, that contract is actually going down as, uh, as abnormally shitty to when they sign it because not only has Evan White been a just horrendous big leaguer and been unable to stay healthy in his career but that contract in big part has forced the Mariners to part way with someone who they thought was supposed to be a star in the future of their franchise 
And instead, now they have they have to trade away a starting player to trade away Evan White's contract, who has not played a big league game in two seasons. Like, by the time opening day starts, we're talking about nearly three years since Evan White's played in a big league game. If I remember this right, I'm pretty sure the last big league game he's appeared in was Kelnick's debut. <sighs> oh my God. This is, it's bad. I, I'm sure we're about to get into all the money stuff here in a second. I will it's, say your point. It of, looks bleak, dude, because very, of this. Very bleak. I, I think we're like right on the brink here of getting into the money stuff. So I will say to just add on to your strikeouts take, the Mariners have, have now gotten rid of all four guys last year that were striking out 30% of the time or more because they've gotten rid of Teo, they've gotten rid of Gino, they've gotten rid of Kelnick, and they've gotten rid of Mike Ford. So they must be very, very motivated to cut down on strikeouts in 2024 because they have totally cleaned house with basically anybody with a strikeout issue. Julio will strike out 25 to 26% of the time. That's not nothing, but it's not awful. Cal Raleigh's going to strike out a little bit. You take that with what else he does at the plate. That's about it at this point. Like they have totally cast away everybody else that was punching out a lot. It's pretty much that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I was going to say, sorry, I, I thought you were going to continue that sentence. So I was looking at my notes. <laughs> do you, um, you want to get into the money stuff here? No, I'm just going to note here quickly on the, on the guys they, they're, that are, they're bringing back. I mean, I, I'm not kidding with what I said with Jackson Core. He has been horrendous. The good thing is he probably cannot get worse than what he was with the Kansas City Royals and then eventually now traded. Uh, he was traded to the Braves, never pitched for the Braves, and now he's, a, now he's a Mariner. Now, I will give this. The Kansas City Royals notoriously have been dog shit at developing pitching. I mean, horrible at developing pitching. So there's a thought that the Mariners could tweak something with Jackson Coar, who throws hard. He throws a slider as well. Can they tweak something to, to help him get better? Because for a guy who has a career ERA of over nine, cannot get much worse for Jackson Coar. So I'd imagine he's going to be in the bullpen at some point in the season. And Cole Phillips, there's some upside there, especially a, a high a top two round draft pick. In 2022, don't know how healthy he is coming off of Tommy John. There's not totally nothing, but nothing for you to do backflips over in the return of this trade. So overall, the Mariners do totally lose out on this trade. Don't don't get me wrong, but there could be something to look look at with this uh, on the terms of the baseball talent coming back to Seattle. I do think there is some reason to like Phillips, and I saw Joe Doyle tweet out some pretty positive things about him when he was the piece in the return deal of this package because yeah he throws close to triple digits when he's healthy there was thought that he was going to be a first round pick before he got injured he's probably going to be about a top 12 to 15 prospect in the Mariner system now depending on who you look at and yeah he's he's got to change up with some decent fade he actually has a power curveball that's his second pitch like there is some stuff to work with there with Cole Phillips plus if you look at the Mariners prospect rankings right now most of those guys are hitters because the big pitchers are obviously in the big leagues now. So the Mariners do bolster their pitching depth a little bit in their minor, in their minor league system with their minor league prospects. And maybe Cole Phillips ends up having some pretty good upside at the very least. Maybe he can be a good reliever too with how hard he throws at some point. So again, we're, we're not justifying this as we're happy the Mariners made this deal. But to your point too, like you were talking about, yeah, maybe there is something to be excited about in the return. Yeah, so we'll have to see. And to be frank, there's going to have to be. <laughs> there's going to have to be. Yeah. I, yes, because otherwise 
this is going to look ridiculous. Oh, and let's note too, by the way, just so we're all on the same page, Jared Kelnick's hitting 35 bombs and making an all-star game next year for the Braves. Yeah, he will. And I'm going to be so happy for him. I'm going to be, I'm going to be over the moon for Jared that he's going to get his opportunity to, to shine in a place that wants him. I'll say. I forgot. We got to add one last thing here. One of the reasons I always love Kelnick along with him having the potential to be a star is because for so long, these Mariners teams were filled with guys that I never really felt like showed all that much emotion. Like Nelson Cruz would show some emotion every now and then in a really big moment, but it just kind of lacked fire. A lot of the time, I, like I felt like it lacked energy. A lot of these teams over the years growing up, Jared Kelnick had energy and he was not afraid to show it either. And sometimes he would let it show off the field too. What am I talking about? Well, sometimes he could get petty with things, right? What did he do to end his Mariners career? He said a big time thank you in his post to his teammates, the fans, the city, his family. No mention of the organization though. Everybody else. Everybody else. And then it gets better because after putting out that big thank you, saying all, talking about all these people that have held him along, nothing about the org, you look at his Instagram bio now because for a while... What was in his bio? It had his number, the number 10, and it said athlete. There was nothing about the Mariners in there. It just said 10 and athlete. Now, if you look today, it is 10, athlete, and Braves. So <laughs> right to the end, Jared Kelnick on brand. And you know what? I will appreciate him forever for it. He kept it real forever and always. And now he has a real chance to torment the Mets. So that's yeah. also another good thing. <laughs> oh, did you see some of the discourse from Mets fans when Kalnick ended up on the Braves? They're like preparing for the worst all over again, just like when he got traded. I don't doubt it. I, I would too for how the Braves uh, how the Braves do. And I, and I'm gonna say uh, let's let's check back in six months, Lyle, when Jared Kalnick signs an eight year, sixty million dollar contract, donating one percent of his yearly earnings to the Atlanta Braves Foundation. Oh, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the Nashville stuff here and what we were talking about with some of the money involved with this trade, because there's a bigger picture here. Before we do that, a quick word from our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. That's Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Best restaurant in town to go hang out with your friends, watch sports, eat some great food, drink some great drinks. They've got some great pizza, full food menu, full drink menu. And if you go during happy hours, you can cash in on some awesome deals. You can cash in on what is, if you show up during happy hour, the hours are Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. And the deals in there include $3 Manny's Blue Moons, $4, sorry, $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. So do all that. Go watch some games here with your friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, so the winter meetings currently underway in Nashville, and man, it has not been short of Mariners news. It just hasn't been the Mariners news that we've wanted to hear. We're not even talking about this Kelnick trade anymore. Now we're talking about all the quotes that have transpired afterward. So there's a couple different ways we can start with this, TJ, and, and I'll bring it in unless you had something you wanted to add here really quickly. Can I just read the the lead from Ryan Divish's article in the Seattle Times yesterday? I, that's what I want to do. I think it really sets this up nicely okay. of so everything set, we're about to go into. Set the tone for us. Okay. Nashville, Tennessee. It's not what they wanted to do. It wasn't what they intended to do. But it's what they had to do to have any hope of success. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we sit with the current iteration of the Seattle Mariners. Let, let's get into the money here because Ryan Divish said some things on foul territory too, which I want to get into. But the big topic here is what's going on with the Mariners budget as we currently speak, because all of a sudden ownership is making it seem like there are questions around how much money this team actually has available to spend, which is why they made this trade to get rid of two contracts and Marco Gonzalez and Evan White. And Oh, by the way, Reports were that trade came together in one day. This was not weeks in the making like the Suarez trade. This all came together on Sunday to get Evan White, Marco Gonzalez, Jared Kelnick out of town, shed salary, and open up some what they call needed room for payroll. So, like, what what the fuck is going on with a team that's supposed to be one of the most profitable in baseball? Jerry DePoto anticipated going into this offseason, going into his end-of-season press conferences where he made all these proclamations and got roasted for 54% and things that'll hang over his head for the rest of his career, still anticipated going into this offseason with a significantly higher payroll than he had in the 2023 season, only to find out a couple weeks into the offseason that that supposed budget that was supposed to be bigger was in fact not bigger. And it came out when the Mariners and Rays have had dialogue about trades for guys we have talked about in past weeks. When Jerry is asking about these trades and they're talking about it, and Jerry says, well, that's good. But with our current payroll, no, current payroll of, what, $140 million, we can't do anything with this. So we have to do, we have to make room which is why the Mariners have now shed down to about $116 million to even have a chance to add impact around, around baseball. And now you might ask why? Well, there are some, there is one legitimate reason why the Mariners would be concerned about revenue. Root Sports Northwest, which the Mariners purchased uh, about 11 years ago. I think it'll be 11 years ago in 2024. They purchased it. The old ownership group purchased it. And then the new ownership group 
took over Root Sports Northwest when they purchased the Mar- the majority stake in the Mariners in 2016. Comcast Xfinity, who is the uh, who is the biggest cable provider in the Pacific Northwest, where all the Mariners fans watch their games, moved Root Sports from the basic tier to the premium tier or the elite tier of sports, and you have to pay X amount more dollars per month to be able to watch not only the Mariners, but the Kraken and the Trailblazers. Well, people don't want to pay that extra money. They'd rather just cut the cord and go to streaming instead. So what does that do? That affects the potential future earnings of not only just the Mariners, but the same baseball club that uh, that purchased broadcast rights for the Portland Trailblazers and the Seattle Kraken and whose uh, return on ad revenue is now significantly lower on three separate franchises because they have less television money, uh, because they have left less eyes on their product. It is a multifaceted issue of an antiquated business model uh, failing the, failing what the Mariners thought it would be. They thought Root Sports Northwest would be such a cash cow in that when all this Bally Sports stuff was going on, it would, wouldn't affect them because they own the majority stake in their network. Well, when Comcast Xfinity decided to do that, that put a real dent in potentially their future earnings. And instead of pocketing the loss themselves, they will instead make the baseball budget and the roster and the fans suffer instead. That's what this is. I think you explained that all really, really well. I do. I'm also here to tell you that if that is the reason ownership is using for we can't go out and spend money, I call total and complete bullshit. I I do. I'm sorry. I don't believe for one second that even if this is going on, that even if they're losing money from their TV deal, that they all of a sudden don't have money to spend. I don't believe that for one single second. And none of you should either. The Mariners are so profitable. You've heard Divish talk about this. You've heard Ken Rosenthal talk about this. You've heard a ton of people talk about this. The Mariners have money. They are not broke. They are nowhere short in cash. And let's keep in mind, what have they done recently? They have hosted the All-Star Game, made a ton of money off of it. They own the Hatback Grill across the street, which is packed every game and sometimes road games too. They make the money off that. That's not revenue shared. They were top 10 in attendance this year. That was the highest attendance they've had in nearly 20 years at the ballpark. That's a bunch of money. So, okay, you're losing some money on your TV deal that you already mostly all own to yourself and are not revenue sharing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Like, boo-hoo. Billionaires get slightly less rich. I don't believe for one second that they can't go out and spend money. And the fact they had to shed payroll to now go, quote-unquote, have the ability to go get guys, I think is crazy. Because you're opening up more holes, you now need two outfielders, and the losses that you're quote-unquote taking from the Root Sports stuff and the Xfinity stuff, you are punishing fans and your team and its players by essentially putting out a worse on-field product if this is what they choose to do. The quotes that they have put out this week have given the indication that they don't feel like they can afford to get four, to get guys to replace that, to get four big leaguers to replace what is currently empty on the roster. And that's troubling. Could you imagine how Jerry DePoto feels right now where he is back in after the 2018 season, by the way, in a 2018 season where they hampered 
his ability to go add to a roster that really just needed one more impact guy to break over the barrier and go make the playoffs. But instead, ownership was like, you know what? Instead of winning, we're going to cap your budget and you are not allowed to go add any significant payroll at the deadline. So instead, we got to go get Adam Warren and Zach Duke. Oh, yeah. What a big impact in that 2018 season. So then Jerry goes, okay, after the 2018 season, here's my idea, ownership. We're going to take a step back. I'm going to reduce the payroll. I'm going to shed some old contracts. I'm going to shed the old players off the roster. We're going to build this thing up. We're going to get some draft picks, some international signings, and we're going to get young and we're going to get fun and we're going to get good. And by 2021, 2022, and 2023, we're going to be in our championship window. And then I'm going to want to go spend some money. And you know what the ownership group said? Let's do it. And you know who's not holding up their end of the bargain in all of this? That fucking group right there. They're not holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to taking a, uh, taking the steps necessary to to win a championship, to take the steps necessary to, to, to win a championship and make the additions to this roster that they need to. They're going to let a bad business investment on their part. It was their decision to fork up the money for the Portland Trailblazers. It was their decision to buy the broadcasting rights to the Seattle Kraken. That is their decision. Billionaires, people who are supposed to be good business people, seeing what the future market is supposed to look like for entertainment and content consumption, decided that our regional sports network that is part of a cable package on Xfinity is our future. Okay, so we're going to pitch all of this money to the Kraken and the Trailblazers. Well. It seems like that was a pretty fucking shitty business investment. If we're looking at it right now, it looks terrible. And now again, we are going to have to suffer because of it. And I could only imagine what Jerry DePoto is thinking in his mind of this. Like Jerry's caught so much flack, but to have these expectations and to have the ownership group tell you what you will get, like in the middle of the season, yeah, we'll spend more. Cool. And then you get to this point, it's like, well, actually, to get to that point, we're actually going to have to have you shed payroll and shed our contributors to get what you need. And it's like, what am I supposed to do here? What a mess, dude. Oh. You know you know that meme of the kid sitting in class with all the veins popping out of his head? I guarantee you that's Jerry every single time he's had to talk to the media in Nashville since all this ownership stuff came out. Because – to your point, you made some phenomenal points, by the way, and very animated at that. And I'm, I'm glad you did. Jerry, you're right. Like, I'm sure internally he is tired of hearing it from this fan base. So honestly, let's help Jerry out a little bit. Let's use our platform here and help Jerry out a little bit. He is not perfect. He has had his flaws. Sure. What's going on right now should not be blamed on Jerry DePoto. It should not. If you've got problems with the Mariners right now, climb up the ladder and take it up with ownership. Because I guarantee you, Jerry DePoto wants to spend money about as badly as all the rest of us want him to right now, but he is being handcuffed and tied down by a group of billionaires who, again, through everything you just said, which is true, I still don't believe the fact that they don't have money to go out and get big time players. Here's an idea for you. Have we ever thought about two people sitting right here with no business degree whatsoever? I I'm going to sit here and give a bunch of billionaire, quote unquote, smart business owners an idea. Have we ever thought about the idea of 
spending the money and forking up the money for Shohei Otani could um, actually make up the money you're going to lose on this Root Sports deal because so many people are going to want to watch Shohei. You're going to take an entire country over with them from Japan. The jersey sales, the ticket sales, the promotion nights, everything. Have you sat and thought about the fact that spending the money now to go get that guy might actually make up the money you're losing off Root Sports. Just a wild concept I'm throwing out here. I mean, is this just too logical or am I missing something? Well, Dave Roberts, I think, believes in your plan. He made he made his best push to get Shohei Otani somewhere else today. I, <laughs> Dave Roberts, man. <laughs> that was uh, unreal. I know this is breaking subject. But if we're actually trying to get Shohei to Seattle, Dave Roberts, by publicly leaking the Dodgers meeting with Shohei Otani today... Uh, I thought was just perfect for for getting Shohei to Seattle. But yes, I agree with you. We've talked about it. He's going to make whatever team he goes to a ton of money. Uh, I think it's a good business opportunity. And, you know, it's, man, it's so frustrating. You could hear it in Scott's voice too. Like, like Divish articulated in the Seattle Times. Like, we, I didn't want to trade Jared Kelnick. Like, I wanted him on this roster this season. I don't think Jerry wanted to trade Jared Kelnick. I don't know if Scott wanted to get rid of Eugenio Suarez as well. And you know what? This might not be it when it comes to salary setting. It could be more. It could be more. You can hear it in Scott's voice, man. You can hear it in some of these quotes he's had, like, that we got to do it. Like, this is the, the deck of cards. we've. This is the hand of cards we've been dealt, and we just have to work with it. Oh, like, you read that, and it's like, oh, my God. A big league baseball, a, a major league baseball team is saying these things. You got that. You got Divish on foul territory all of a sudden saying, well, the Mariners think in the next two years, Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh might get traded because the Mariners might not be able to afford them. What? Like, what are you talking about? So you're not signing free agents. You're not giving in-house extensions. Like, what are you doing? Where Where is all the money you're making going? I just... I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Now, here is here is the one thing, as we're still on the Shohei topic here. If they actually are shedding payroll to go gear up to sign Shohei, which, again, I still believe is possible, I will take back every word I've said on this podcast. If that is the reason they went and did this, because they're going to go get Shohei, great. If it's not, and they're clearing payroll because they want to go sign Lourdes Gurriel, oh, we're going to have problems. Yeah, we're going to have problems. Last thing for me on this, I was going to say, if John Stanton believes true to his words that he truly wants to win a World Series and he truly wants to do that, trading guys like Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert because they're too expensive is, that's that's not the way to go about it. It, it seems bad and it seems like, uh, like, I don't know how the Mariners expect to win if the payroll is that low. Unless they truly want to become the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays have shown you can win that way, but the way the Mariners are currently structured and the people they have employed, yeah, I'm not sure that's really, uh, really going to cut it. Look, Cal Raleigh may never sign an extension anyway because he is a Scott Boris guy, but again, the fact that's even being put out there is crazy. Here is the last thing before we transition to our interview. John Stanton gets a lot of flack, as he should. He is the majority owner. But the Mariners' ownership group consists of a lot of people. And when you hear the Mariners' ownership group getting talked about, it's John Stanton this, John Stanton this, Stanton, 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 Stanton. I I think we got to put these other names out here because if there is this much of an issue with the ownership, I can't believe I'm even going to say this. I don't think it's fair to put every ounce of blame on John Stanton, even though he deserves a lot of it. So there was an article written a while back about who the Mariners' ownership group is. There's 16 people on this ownership group. 
We are going to read you guys the names and you can do what you want with it. We're just going to put it out there because that article exists. This is who it is besides Stanton. The main minority owner is a guy named Chris Larson. So if you want the number two guy behind John Stanton, it's Chris Larson. So you can remember that name. There is still a guy from the Nintendo group named, I I don't want to botch his name. I'm going to do my best. Minoru Arakawa, who is part of the Nintendo group. And then the rest of the guys, here are their names. Frank Schrantz, Rob Glazer, Wayne Perry, John Ellis, John Bauer, Howard Lincoln, Buck Ferguson, Joan Watchin, Jeff Rakes, Carl Stork, Judith Bigelow, Rufus Lumery, and Bill Marklin. There are the 16 names on the ownership group. Stanton deserves blame, Larson's number two, and there's the rest of the group. Carl Stork, by the way, has been catching flack on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we we found him on Twitter. Not many of them have Twitter accounts, but uh, he has one, and he's uh, he's been uh, dug out a little bit. And I would say, if you want one of them to go look at, go look at Larson. Just just throw his name into Google and 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 read, and we'll say you, you learn a lot. Okay, before we get to our interview with Stacy Ross, let's hear a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And it's an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Lyle, I'm very much looking forward to this interview with Stacey Ross. Listen to her on Seattle Sports every day from 10 to 2 with Michael Bumpus. She she knows her stuff, and, and I will say she has very good conversations with Mike Salk about the Mariners. Two very different perspectives there, and I'm looking forward to We heard Mike Salk's side. I'm looking forward to hearing her side. She's great, and you've heard Salk say nothing but great things about her anytime she's brought up. She's smart, knows her stuff. She's funny, got a great personality. I'm looking forward to everybody listening to hearing this because she really is awesome. All right, let's get to our interview now with Stacy Rost. All right, we welcome on Stacy Ross, the host of Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports. Stacy, we appreciate you taking some time to hop on here with us today. I will say, when we had Mike Salk on, he was he lopped a ton of praise onto you and said, you know, you guys have to have her on. So uh, I'll say, Stacey, the expectations are, are set pretty high, so oh, uh, no pressure. I look forward to not meeting them. <laughs> it's very awesome. <laughs> cool. That was nice of Mike to do, though. Okay, so Mike gave you praise there, but I know yeah. the two of you butted heads like all year about the whole Mariners versus Rangers roster building thing. It's like, okay, which way is the right way? Yeah. I know, obviously, you love the Mariners like almost everybody in Seattle here does, was there a part of you, though, that when the Rangers won that you were happy about? For yes. like you, you were like, I can look forward to getting on air and taking my victory lap. 
And I did. Uh, I didn't do like a major victory lap on air, but Mike texted me separately and was like, apologies. <laughs> um, and you know what? It, quite honestly, when the, um, when the Rangers were like really, really stumbling um, and the Mariners were getting really hot, uh, I texted him and was like, dang it. <laughs> like, here I was praising this team building and saying, oh, you can't just point to the Mets if you're going to talk about spending. You have to also point to the Rangers and you have to point to these teams that are doing it well. And, uh, and here the Rangers are, uh, you know, just hurting themselves. And, uh, and so there was a period of time where it was the opposite, where I was like, okay, I, I might have been wrong. Let's wait and see what happens this season. But I really thought briefly there in August, like, um, like this thing might turn around. And God, the Mariners are one of the hottest teams right now. What a fun August it was for all of us, unfortunately. Then it ended. Okay, so do, you guys, do you guys agree on it a little bit more now, especially now the news has been starting to, to leak in a little bit? Yeah, I think I, I don't know. Um, well, I don't know that either of us were ever like go out and be, you know, a Steve Cohen-esque led team where it's like spend, spend, spend. I think I just felt like you, you can't moneyball your way. Uh, you can't point to the Rays and say, let's build like them. Where's their World Series? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you also can't um, point to teams that spend and have it not work out while completely ignoring teams that do spend. I mean, the Astros are a team that spends. Yes, they are a team that is drafted and developed so well. And that's really where they got a lot of their core pieces. But they are a team that's a top 10 in payroll, as were the Phillies. And, and I don't think they like accidentally fell into a World Series. I think that they were a really good team that got there. So there are teams that spend and do it well but they just happen to have a really great core. And so my take was the Mariners have parts of a really great core, but they've missed on some offense. Like if Kyle, you know, works out, Kyle Lewis works out, if Evan White works out, maybe we're having a different conversation, but you had a couple bats that didn't work out and you, and you struck gold on a couple arms. So how do you balance this out and what do you do to fix it? Um, and the Astros were asking them, you know, that themselves with some bats that were really, really great. And they needed to go out and get, you know, Verlander or to kind of round out the rotation. Um, so both of us looked at it, I think, a little more similarly than that <laughs> video would indicate. Um, but I think his thing was uh, people don't quite always know what they want. They just want the Mariners to spend without knowing what they want them to spend on. And it is harder for a Mariners team to convince some top free agents to come to Seattle than it is for a Dodgers team, even if they had the same payroll, to convince players to go there. And that is going to take years to write for the Mariners because winning incentivizes free agents. So I'm not going to want to go to Seattle if I got a lot of options until you can prove that I can win there. Okay, admittedly, about a year ago, I was more on the Salk train and I had more of that mindset. I'd say I've shifted a little bit now, yeah. but I guess my whole thing back then was I'm not going to lose sleep if Xander Bogarts gets overpaid somewhere else or sure. somebody like him or like, like I didn't, I, I wasn't that heartbroken over the Mariners missing out on those shortstops or whatever, but I will say like, I thought the way they were building their roster was going to work out a little bit better than it did. And I didn't think they had to spend all that money to do so. And I thought a lot of the people that kind of scream about it on Twitter, it's like kind of what Salk used to say. It's like, well, are you sure this is the only way to build a roster? Because my uh -huh. whole thing was always, I just want to see them win. I don't care how they do it. But it's becoming more and more apparent now that there are issues on this roster that may only be able to be fixed by spending money. 
Well, and I, and I agree with you. And I remember we had a we had a couple segments where we did this, but one in particular where we said, you know what, we were all, you know, pointing to all these free agent shortstops saying they should add these guys when JP Crawford's having a career year. Like, shout out to JP Crawford. We were all ready to move him to second. I still think you could have moved JP to second and brought in a great shortstop. JP told the Seattle Times he was willing to do that. I digress. Maybe not signing one of those shortstops ended up being the right move for Seattle. Unfortunately, could signing a DH, you know, have helped you? Could adding an outfielder have helped you? It, it feels like that is especially true this year when you're looking at a really weak free agency class. So, so yeah, I think that combined with obviously these guys just really not working out. Like Ty France kind of fell off, and Gino kind of kind of fell off, and you were counting on these guys making up the difference. And so those holes that you had in your roster were far more pronounced than they might have been otherwise. So, Stacey, let's get into the news that has happened this week. And let's just start off Uh, with the trade that happened on Sunday night with Jared Kelnick. And you said on your show, like right off the bat, it's like, appreciate everything Marco's done for the organization. Probably not going to miss him baseball wise. mm -hmm. Evan White will, as once the 2024 season rolls around, will have not played on a major league diamond in three seasons. That is null. So before we get into the money, like, are you going to miss seeing, is Jared, are you sad seeing Jared Kelnick not on the roster in 2024? No, I mean, I I think I had convinced myself that it may take Jared Kelnick going somewhere else for him to succeed. I don't know if there's a mental block. I don't know if it's um, maybe not gelling with whatever works developmentally for the Mariners doesn't work for him. I don't know what it is. There was a period earlier this past season where I thought maybe he finally figured it out. Obviously, that didn't work out. He cares deeply about this team. I think Scott Service cares deeply about him, and that was apparent in his comments from the winter meetings. But, you know, the trade itself, were it not, like you said, payroll shedding aside and optics aside, I'm okay. Like, I, I would not have been upset by a Mariners team if you didn't tell me who else was on the roster, if you just said, Hey, when they break spring, uh, Marco's not on the roster and, and Kelnick isn't, and, and Evan White isn't with the club. I'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Assuming they got some nice players. Okay. I, th- I think where I stand on this is I, I get where you're coming from, but the fact that it took is like Marco, it, uh, I like, I kind of get, but the fact that it took like Evan White's contract is a reason that Jared Kelnick, is yes. not on the roster in yep. 2024. I think, I mean, that's going to go down as one of Jerry's worst moves he's ever done. If that, like, because of the constraints they have that have been laid on them, the fact that Evan White is a reason you don't have a potentially valuable member of your roster in yep. 2024 is damning. Yeah, no, that's a really, <laughs> really good point, right? You basically had to throw in Kelnick to ship off bad contracts. And you're absolutely right. I think. The frustrating thing is we'll never know what could have happened. If nothing mm-hmm. else, if Jared Kelnick never met expectations, he could still play left field. Who does it now? <laughs> right. Good question. You Apparently Zach Haggerty? Deloach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was going to be my next question is, aside from Julio, like, is there anybody currently in the organization or on the roster you trust to play the outfield right now? Uh, no. I mean, I know that they've got, you know, those utility guys can, like they've used Dylan, they've used Sam, they've used a couple of those guys out there, but this team is very clearly incomplete. Again, something, a phrase that Scott Service used verbatim, but also incredibly obvious to every single fan. Like 
anyone right now that you would put out there, you would see as a temporary solution. And that doesn't make you feel confident. Now with the comments this week of because the reason this trade happened came to light a little bit more this week. Yeah. What comment stuck out to you the most and was just, just made oh. you raise an eyebrow? Oh my God. So many. Okay. I mean, I think the biggest one would be Scott service saying the cards we were dealt. We did as much as we could with the cards we were dealt and then following it up with, I guess that's the best way to say it. <laughs> like it's just letting us know that like, he's like, if you catch my drift, like heavy wink. <laughs> um, uh, that is really standing out to me. Um, him saying things changed a couple weeks into the season, clearly hinting, in my opinion, according to everyone I know too, that that Xfinity deal was was the thing that changed a couple weeks into the season. Um, also hinting that at one point or another, they believed they would have more econo- uh, financial flexibility, right, is also what that indicates. And I'm actually surprised that he said as much as he did. But those two things, to me, probably stood out the most. So do you feel like this is on Jerry? Because I know a lot of people's first instinct is, well, what is DePoto doing? Figure it out. Put a roster on the field that can win a championship. Like, do you feel like it's fair for him at this point to be taking all this blame? Not that he's not free of it, not that he's perfect, yeah. but do you think at this point, like some of it needs to be more shifted up toward the ownership group more than it does to Poto? Yeah, that's how it feels right now. And I felt like that more so after comments Monday than I did following the trade Sunday. Following the trade Sunday, I was like, what are you doing, right? Like, what kind of moves are you trying to make? Are you taking a risk? Is there another move that you're planning and and you're, uh, you know, putting the cart before the horse? But I think following particularly Scott Service's comments, it's become clear that while I might have problems with some of Jerry's team building decisions outside of this trade and predating this trade, this team needs more. It needs more talent. And it is becoming clear that they don't have the freedom to really go out and get the talent that's going to make this team a championship team. And that is not a Jerry decision. And that's what's really frustrating about it for a lot of fans. Do you actually have faith that there there is going to be an impact move coming? And we, we hear Jerry say, well, the payroll still actually will be higher than it was in, in 2023. Uh, there are, we are going to add multiple bats which if you think back to all of his off seasons i'm trying to think like multiple unless it was in one trade that wasn't really the case i mean i think of the jesse winker and eugenio suarez trade with the reds in terms of adding multiple of anything that's like it i yeah i I don't i don't have faith in it do do you no i don't and uh, when he talks about the payroll being increased i think is it going to be 150 (laughs) <laughs> are we talking you've got like 40 million to spend here or are we talking it's going to be 180 190 I highly doubt it's toward the latter I would love to be pleasantly surprised by this team like in my in my most optimistic moments I think what if this is the Robodope like <laughs> what if the Mariners are secretly going after you know not Notani who we've heard from multiple sources like they're out on but what if there is a Juan Soto move coming and what if there is this big move coming and and they're just trying to throw off the market um but I also am have lived and grown up in Seattle my whole life. And I think have learned to, while I can be an optimistic fan, have like a distrust that's curated of this team. And I don't, and I don't blame anyone for having that. And, and um, so, no, I think that it's going to be Jerry and, and Justin Hollander doing their very best to 
fill every hole on this roster um, with what sounds like very limited funds, like $40 million. Okay, you mentioned kind of the rope-a-doke and you mentioned Otani. Can I throw a hot take out there at you that I kind of have? I would love that. That I don't actually think the Mariners are out on Shohei yet. I love that hot take. That's a great take. Why don't you think so? Okay, so I could go down a whole rabbit hole about this, but just to like the Spark Notes version, like you've heard Divish kind of say that anytime anybody's asked anybody in the Mariners front office about Otani this offseason, conversation just ends right there. Like they just stop, they won't talk about him. And my whole thing is, well, if you bowed out weeks ago, why are you so afraid to talk about the guy and say, hey, he's a great player, but I think our needs are going to be shifted elsewhere this winter, along with the fact that, you know, there've been talks for like a few months now that they've been allocating funds for the last year or two to make a run at him and yeah. how in on him they were the first time. And, you know, and also how they've been so, yeah, like so tight lipped about it. Like you've heard like today with the Dodgers, they accidentally spilled some beans. They're like, oh yeah, we had a meeting <laughs> yeah. with them. It went great or whatever. And like, and you're you've like heard what the are you <laughs> right. And you've heard the Blue Jays leak stuff. You've heard like the Giants leak stuff. Like the Mariners aren't in any of these reports. And I know there's yep. been reports saying, oh, they, they balked it at the money. But like you haven't really heard anything out of the Mariners camp saying, yeah, it's not going to happen. Like I'm kind of wondering, and maybe this is a coping mechanism. I'm kind of thinking that maybe somewhere under all this, they've actually got like a big plan in the works to actually try and make this happen, which is maybe the reason they cleared some of this money. So again, it's a hot take, but like, I think it's like, I don't know. It's what I believe, I guess. If you had uh, not mentioned uh, that, yes, the last two years, because I remember complaining last year to um, someone who who knows this team well and is well-connected to the team, and I remember complaining last year that they weren't spending, and they were like, well, I think they're going to try to go all in on on Otani next year. I think, like, that's part of the big plan. You mentioning that, I'm like, you're right. (laughs) That is something they've done. You might have convinced me. Okay. Okay, well, <laughs> listen, it, if I'm wrong, we're no further back than we were right now. But, right. If, I'm so, but if I'm somehow right, then, then I might be on this podcast taking a little bit of a victory lap. So, you so yeah. That, like, and again, maybe it's a coping mechanism, but I just feel like part of me too. It's like, well, if, if you're going to just believe they're out already, like that's no fun. Like I'm kind of trying to find some reasons to believe why it could still happen. Yeah, fair. I mean, I think that it's normal for, uh, for I'm sorry, do you guys have an echo? Oh, no. No? Oh, okay. Oh, do you have an echo? Um, uh, just a little baby one, but that's okay. Um, okay. I think that it's uh, I think it's normal for, for anyone to try to figure out what they're doing. And I don't think that it is a far-fetched theory or something crazy to wonder, is it Otani? Like, is this just how the, how the game's working right now? Like, I don't think that at this point in the season where they haven't really made any moves and when we're still waiting to see what happens, anything is ridiculous. Like I'm still holding out hope that Juan Soto is maybe part of those plans. Like who knows the club control aspect of it makes no sense for what the Mariners like to do. Part of me is screaming that at myself. And yet I'm just desperately hoping that they find some power and some, some, uh, some, you know, a great bat somewhere. And so I, I'm doing the same thing where it, it would be disingenuous of me to go on air and go, yeah, I mean, this team's screwed. <laughs> so, that sucks. So, do, any so of the Rays, do any of the Rays guys jump out at you? Like, we've spent so much time on this show talking about, like, either Isak Paredes or Yandy Diaz or Randy Arozarena. Now, yeah. there is definitely a fit there with the Mariners, and there's so much rapport between Jerry and the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Do either of those three, like, stick out to you? I mean, those make significantly more sense than going yes. out and shelling out not only $30 million for Juan Soto, 
but I don't what are they asking for seven prospects? Yeah, I mean a Rose Arena is obviously the the would cost the most, but I would love and the, and he kind of fits into this thing. We were talking about this uh, earlier today at work. Me, Curtis, and and Brent, who's our editor for Seattle Sports, and um, Brent made a good point, which was like, God, and you know a Rose Arena is so marketable and so likable, and like there is part of me that the same thing that you could say with the Otani thing. Otani to a much larger extent. I mean, most marketable player in all of baseball. So there's not really a comparison. But in, in terms of getting a star, in terms of getting someone marketable, let's say the Mariners are worried about cash flow. And let's say the Mariners are, um, you know, expecting some uh, some big cash flow issues because of the Root Sports subscriptions and they're looking to slash payroll. I feel like bringing in incredibly likable players or particularly a superstar helps solve that problem rather than worsens it. Like, I don't know how slashing payroll helps fix a problem um, about attendance. Like, it, you know what I mean? I, it, it's almost like spend to make money is, I think, the better solution here. There would be no better solution, you know, Lyle, to your point, than Otani in terms of bringing in eyeballs and money and, and oh my God, you, you are 10th in attendance? Congratulations. It's going to be even higher than that. Um, but uh, but I, I think that someone like a Rosarena and and to a greater extent someone like Soto also helps with that. And so I don't know why they're not going after that kind of guy. Like I guess it's my final Mariners question here, kind of tying everything together that we've heard from Nashville at the winter meetings this week. Like and this is more on the ownership side of things. Like, do you feel like Mariners fans are being gaslit at all? Like, that's almost the best way I can put it, especially when you hear, like, I remember Katie Griggs, the president, a couple years ago saying, like, we've asked for your patience. Now we're not going to ask you to be patient any longer. And now you're hearing things like, oh, now we're going to cut back on payroll. We'll see what our funds are like. I don't know. Like, do you feel like fans yeah. are kind of being misled at all? A little bit. And it's awkward to say because as part of my job you naturally want to keep healthy relationships with the team and so I always try to not make it personal like I'll never say like Jerry Depoto is a bad person or John Stanton is a bad owner and a bad person mm -hmm. but I think it is fair to say that they have really not met the expectations that they've set for themselves and when you are a team setting expectations and don't meet them there are people that have spent money and given up hope and given a lot of time that are then disappointed. You know what I mean? That's the difference between me as a person not meeting expectations for my day uh, and, and a team owner not meeting expectations. Like there, there are, there's buy-in that's very real with a lot of people. And so when you write, you know, win it all <laughs> on, <laughs> on a whiteboard as part of your season promo, uh, or when you say several years ago, we want to be a World Series team in 2023 and 2024. That's what fans are expecting. And it is incredibly important to consider that the fans that you're speaking to in this case were fans of a team that had not been to the playoffs in 20 years. Thankfully, that drought's been broken. And currently are fans of a team, the only team to never make it to a World Series. That's also really important context. So I think that every team owner, you can make a case that every team owner and every GM uh, you know, doesn't meet expectations, right? <laughs> 2019 aren't gonna aren't gonna win a World Series, and 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 some teams, you know, you could look at the the Mets as spending a ton of money and you know promising that they were going to turn things around and having a disappointing season. But there is something uniquely frustrating about being a Mariners fan, being told, "Hey, we tore it all down, and we have no right to ask for your patience, but we're going to do it." 
we have no right to ask you to hang on with us. Um, there's a generation of people that grew up never watching playoff baseball. We have no right to tell you to hang on, but we're going to ask because let me tell you what, we have something special. We got this guy, Jared Kelnick. You're, he's unbelievable. You're going to love him. We got this guy, Julio Rodriguez. He's unbelievable. You're going to love him. They've hit on some of those guys. Julio, superstar. Um, and I think that what Jerry is doing this year is a little bit of like a delicate dance. And he has probably learned not to say too much. I don't know if that stems from the 54% comment or, um, you know, if that's something that's been an accumulation of missteps. But saying something like, you know, we, we plan to spend more this year in payroll leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And it is not as declarative as we plan to play in a World Series in 2023 or 2024, excuse me. Like those are, those are different kinds of promises. And so, yeah, to answer your question in a very long roundabout way, yes. And I don't know how intentional it is. I sometimes wonder if what happens is uh, Jerry thinks his plan is going to work and he thinks that these guys he's signing are going to make a difference and he really believes in what they have. So he feels like he has reason to say, yeah, I think we're going to be a World Series team. It could also be he every season, you know, enters thinking he's going to have more money and says, yep, we're ready to improve and then finds out he doesn't. Right. Like there could be things lost in translation that that isn't this malicious kind of misleading. But the end of the day, Mariners fans have been misled. This team that has an open window was supposed to be so much more aggressive with it. Didn't make the playoffs last year in a season where they entered not having answers at offense, knowing they needed answers at offense. That's unforgivable. Stacy, you mentioned accountability really early on in that answer. And, and, and I think about this as sort of a multi-tier question. I also do not want to get you in trouble with this question. So, but like <laughs> you work at the flagship station, I mean, and not only the Mariners, but the Seahawks as well, very strong relationships and the two biggest sports brands in the Pacific Northwest. So, when you have to be critical, I mean, you're honest, but the relationships with those teams need to be still need to be good. Your your business partners in in a revenue generating revenue yeah. generator for both sides. So how do you like how do you balance that? How do, how does that work for you? And do you feel like uh, because I feel like Seattle overall is a little softer on on franchises. It's not so. the Northeast. It's not the 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 echo chamber of the northeast to fire this fire that like this owner sucks like whatever whatever like h- how does that all like balance within how how you prepare for a show or, or along those lines so we always try to be fair but not personal that's our number one rule be fair be you know you're an in, you're an entertainment business um uh but you are also you know rooted in journalism and rooted in information and so I think it is fair to say, for instance, the Mariners have disappointed a lot of fans by not making the playoffs. That's just objectively true. <laughs> like That is a fact. Um, another thing, uh, hey, Jerry DePoto's free agency class from last year failed. It did not work out. That plan didn't work out. None of that is personal. Um, I think Jerry DePoto is very, very smart. And I think John Stanton wants to win a world series. Like, I think these things are true. And so I think that there's just this careful line with being like, I can point to things that have disappointed me or questions that I have, or sometimes things I think that you do exceptionally well. And I, and I think that that deserves more attention while also recognizing that you as a GM is not you as a person. And so, you know, when people say stuff like, um, 
with the Seahawks slump, for instance, we've gotten a lot of, why aren't you calling for Pete Carroll to be fired? And my answer is always like, well, I think Pete Carroll's bought a lot of goodwill. And um, I don't know what calling to fire Pete Carroll does for the Seahawks season right now. It only hurts culture. It only hurts the organization. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of jobs behind the scene that are then lost that people aren't thinking of when they do that. And so I, I try to stay away from too much of an emotional reaction. And that's where I think the personal stuff comes in. Like it is really easy to get personal when you're emotional. And so I try to like, let it filter through. And I think all of our hosts do that. Like some to different degrees, like Brock can get fired up and and Bob can get really um, critical of the Mariners, but everyone tries to filter it through. What is fair? The fair Mm -hmm. filter, like what is a fair critique that like, nothing I'm saying could be interpreted as factually incorrect. Was, is there a moment that you've had in, in your career where you felt like you've gone too close to that line? Yes. Um, I've never called for anyone's job. Sometimes you worry that like a player is going to hear you or be offended by something. Like the other day, someone asked us, um, hey, what Seahawks player is not living up for his, to his contract? And Bump was like, I'm not touching that. Which makes sense. Any most former players don't like pointing to that kind of stuff because they're like, like they relate to that world so much that they don't even like going near it. And it was a lighthearted segment, so I wasn't thinking. And I said, "Well, I think Will Disley." And then I was like, "You know what? That's so, that's so unfair to say. Like, what if someone was like, uh, you know, Stacey's not living up to her contract? We get paid drastically different sums of money. So I think that'd be okay." <laughs> but um, but then I clarified he's not living up to his contract because part of why he's being paid is um, to be this, you know, at times explosive offensive weapon or, or whatever. And they have needed to use him for a lot of pass blocking. And so he doesn't have the targets and touchdowns that you'd normally associate with getting paid a lot of money as a tight end because they've needed him for help along the offensive line. So that's adding what I think is a fair filter of being like, let me just clarify. Um, But I've never been like blocked by anyone or had anyone be like that really really crossed a line um again i've typically i'm naturally um and i've had to actually curb this i'm naturally a people pleaser which has been really difficult in radio when you find out people don't like you not like players or coaches but just like listeners um and it's really hard to stop yourself from then saying like well what can i say to make them like me because it's such a natural inclination to want to be liked and to be friendly and to like having someone say you suck to your face is a very strange experience. <laughs> like I don't think most people are conditioned for um, that same thing though. While I've been better at curbing it and not leaning into it has, I think kept me from putting my foot in my mouth too much with, with other things. Has stuff like that actually happened in person? The, the whole you suck thing. Like, and I can imagine the text line can be brutal sometimes. Like, you, okay, yeah. Yeah. I said to your face, but what I mean is the text line because no, Never in my life in person has anyone said anything really horrible to me, which is wild because when I first started, I was hated. Like if you would have put out a survey, I would guarantee you I would be the most hated person on that station. Like people were really upset um, that I wasn't Lydia, that I wasn't Jessamine. Um, they, they thought that I sounded like an idiot. I was called every name in the book. Um, they, didn't, they thought that um, my job came at the expense of, at the time, Graz who was on medical leave, who <laughs> had stepped away from, the, like, no, it didn't, like, it just did not. Um, 
there were all these other people that they thought should have had the job instead. And I think that that's this natural thing that comes with the gig, right? Like it's, it's no one's job to like you. <laughs> Literally no one's job is to like you except hopefully your mom. Like I would hope that she does, but it's still a weird adjustment. And, um, and so I think that that Lyle to your question was one of the things that was told to me once by someone, and I don't know if it was Jake or it might've been Bump, it might've been both being like, no one ever is brave enough to say it to your face. Like people get real tough when they can be anonymous and when they can just kind of spew vitriol into what feels like a black hole. Like there's no consequence for saying anything. We see it on Twitter all the time. But in person, it is so much more intimidating to tell someone, I don't like you. In person, people kind of clam up and they don't say anything. So no, I've never had anyone in person say something like horrible. It's only been very pleasant, nice things, but it has absolutely been on the text line and on Twitter for sure. Do you think it was harder for you to to get past that part? Or do you feel like it was harder to get past to the stereotype of, of a woman hosting a full-time radio show in a top 15 market talking about sports played by men? Um, you mean, does do I think it was tough to... Yeah try not to lean into a stereotype yeah oh not not even that like because i'm i'm sure the stereotype was a was a big reason why people were attacking you because they yeah. thought it was it was easy i mean you're you're not like any like anyone else that usually hosts at that station like males who yeah. sit in those chairs and and host those radio shows but but you are not so uh, like I think I read I read before and tell me if if I have this right when when you were doing segments before before Salk elevated you to a full time host you said like you really had no issue you thought it came yeah. very naturally to you and it was only yep. when you sat down in the chair and you had full host responsibilities where it really sort of set yep. in so I actually think I might have answered my own question there uh, <laughs> I'll have, I'll have you confirm that uh, that it, it probably that the text line issue and the the perception issue was was harder. It was, it was. And it's, um, there's something too about like, Hey, I'm popping in and no one knows who I am and I can say whatever I want. And I didn't grow up listening to sports radio. Like I was a huge fan of podcasts and obviously watched ESPN and I would watch Stan Patrick show. Like I, I consumed a lot of my sports media on, on television or through podcasts or reading. I loved, I used to love ESPN, the magazine. It's no longer a thing, but like, um, so I almost, because I didn't have this preconceived notion of like, what does the audience look like? Do they like me? I don't know. I, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm going on telling myself that one person's listening. <laughs> like, and so you're not thinking of it. I was so unafraid and I just, I was so confident. Um, and then you start seeing what people are saying. And there is something really strange to like, imagine yourself at work and you're sitting in a sales meeting and you say, yeah, I talked to this client and I told them this. And then you get five messages that pop up going, well, that was stupid. Why do you even have this job? Like that would be such a weird, <laughs> such a weird thing. You'd be like, whoa, God, Carol, what's your problem? Like it's, it's just a very weird thing to get used to. And I didn't come from that world. I had not, my host at the time, Jake had been criticized since he was 16 years old. I mean, he decided not to go to Washington at 18 and had fans of an entire institution hating him and, and writing hate mail and saying horrible things about him on forums. So he had been dealing with that for when I met him like 10 years of his life and obviously his NFL career and, and people just constantly berating him. And he was so positive and had conditioned himself to like, I care about people who love me and that's it. And I was so not in that place because I hadn't even gotten to the, 
like I used to go on Seahawks Reddit all the time and field goals I used to read all the time. And I remember the first time seeing my name on Reddit and people were like, oh, she sucks. Like they were, they weren't saying very nice things. And I was like, I feel like I'm having an out of body experience. Like, how do they know my name and why are they talking about me and why does this matter? And all of a sudden I was like, I feel like I can't go here anymore. Like I'm just seeing bad things. And so it was very strange because so many of my co-hosts, Rock, Jake, then later Bump and obviously Wyman had dealt with that and learned to deal with that very young as athletes. Meanwhile, you have Mike who's who's dealt with people hating him all the time. And it's like, I, I believe what I believe. And I'm very, he's very, you know, unafraid of someone he's got this like well f them attitude if you don't agree with him because he truly believes in what he believes and and i love that about him and like i just wasn't there yet um and so it's it's actually been very helpful to work with all of these people who have such healthy coping mechanisms what was that do you remember what that conversation was like with mike when he when he was going to elevate you full-time to to that host position Uh, like i know you went into this business wanting to write not to talk on air. Mm-hmm. So when that conversation happens, what goes through your mind? Um, guilt initially, because there were a couple different people who I thought were really qualified to be on air. And I really wanted to. Like at that point, I had started doing some night uh, hosting and uh, some weekend stuff and fill-in work. And I loved it. I was like, I feel like I finally found something that I'm good at. Like I, I feel like I should be doing this. And I feel really happy when I do it. And so I, I really wanted it. Uh, so I was really hungry for it. And I was going to be like, pay me whatever you want. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll do this. But um, I knew that um, we have so many qualified people. Like, I wish we had uh, 17 shows so that Curtis could have his own show. Curtis is one of the smartest baseball minds I know. Like, he is so smart and knows so much stuff. He's like a walking encyclopedia and uh, has a great radio voice. And so I was just thinking of, like, this weird kind of, you know, I want all my friends to host a show with me. Unfortunately, there's one spot. And so, you know, uh, here it is. But yeah, I felt, then I felt a little nervous because I had been exposed to a little bit of the bad comments and thought, here we go. Like, (laughs) this is, people are going to be really, really, really upset that um, they're not listening to Bob Grodz and Tom and are instead listening to Tom, Jake and Stacy. They're not going to know who I am. I'm going to be a female voice. I sound when I started, especially younger than I am. And so they're going to think it's a young female. And unfortunately, there are stereotypes there that are so unfair, but obviously of like, you don't know anything. And so I would say fear and guilt. And then later replaced with like, a kind of stubborn excitement, like a real like, well, F you guys attitude. And I think that in my worst moments, I've tried to find that mostly by listening to like, good music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to ask how you've learned to channel so much of that negativity that sometimes people send you over the years. I mean, it sounds like maybe the good music is part of it, but what else have you have you done to kind of learn to to channel it all? Um, I think that I've been better. I've tried to find what works for me. And uh, initially, I would internalize a lot. So if someone texted in and said, uh, you're ugly you are a horse face, which is something I've gotten before. I would feel really bad about myself, go home and like stare at myself in the mirror going, oh my God, yeah, you're right. Totally, you look like a horse or like something really horrible. Um, then I would just learn to laugh at it. I'd be like, what a stupid, what like kind of a funny insult. Or like I would call my sister and she, you know, my sister is really good at keeping me humble because she just clowns on me all the time. 
And she would just laugh and be like, bitch, I know that's right. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) it's almost like hearing someone you love make a funny joke about you or an insult about you almost takes the edge off because you realize like, you know, it's okay if you're not perfect maybe just surround some of that criticism with people you love when they could, like if you turn it into a joke that you can laugh at, it, it takes the hurt away from it. That's just one example. But um, I've gotten much better about turning it off, ignoring it. Um, it. I'm not kidding. It took me like probably, probably two and a half years to even be able, the idea when, whenever I see people that um, like you'll have Mina Kimes, retweet someone and she'll always have like a 10 out of 10 burn for this person right it's always amazing but you'll have people go why don't you just ignore it and sometimes I want to like I want to say because that's not normal (laughs) because just brushing it off is something that takes years and years and years and years to learn and even then that one comment can just stick with you and eat at you because sometimes it's something you believe about yourself right um and so I think that it just takes a lot of practice. And, uh, and yeah, I, I try to, and Brock gave me this advice when I first started. He was like, find a really, really healthy network of people that you love and pay attention to them. And I didn't get what he meant. And I don't know if this is what he meant by it, but I think that you can have so much input on what you do and who you are and who you should be. And learning to trust that input instead from people you love and who care about you really does make a huge difference. And it's taken me a huge portion of my career to learn how to do that. What's the music you lean on? Um, I lean into a lot of particularly female rappers, (laughs) just because there's this kind of like, you know, FU energy that is, you know, like I remember having a bad day. Granted, this was, uh, this is like 2000. I don't know, 15 or 16. So she'd had an album, I think, recently come out. But I remember having a horrible day at the BMAC where I was like, I felt like it was the first day of high school. I went home crying. I, I felt like an idiot. Um, and then I drove in the next day listening to like Nicki Minaj. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to channel this kind of like, and what attitude with mm-hmm. it. And, um, and, I, and I really leaned into, into that a lot. And those artists have since evolved and changed. But I find that like, and, and this sounds corny and maybe like, some people wouldn't find strength in this and it sounds stupid to say, but I really do find strength in other women. Like I think it is super badass that I'm in a market where like Angie is here and Jen is here and neither of them get as much credit as they deserve, even though they're both very well respected. Like Jen is so brilliant. Like she is a great X's and O's mind. And just because a lot of her stuff is like, um, you know, a, a, a personal story or, you know, trying to bring fans in, like she knows so much about football and um, it's uh, it's it's been very great to surround myself with that. And then uh, also women I don't know, you know, like Nikki or Megan or Beyonce. <laughs> so you you mentioned your your time at the VMAC, and I think I'll tie this into a question uh, I, I read uh, about you. You felt like you were a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to like really understanding sports. And mm-hmm. again, now you you are expected to know more than pretty much everyone else. Like, what is it that you did to make sure you were caught up in that, especially like at times at the VMAC where it's like, okay, man, how many safeties are back there? Uh, Yeah. What are they in a three, four? Yeah. I I can't tell. (laughs) What what were the steps you had to go through to really, to, to really like compartmentalize and and really get to where you wanted to go? Um, A lot, a lot, a lot of reading. 
and a lot of note taking and finding my own, like literally, in, if anyone is doing this in sports, like uh, what works for you if you were in college or in high school can sometimes work at a professional level, whether it's sales, whether it's sports, whether it's whatever. Like I found that note taking or um, if I read something, writing the thing I read down and things like that to help it cement in my, into my brain really helped. And so like these notebooks, like I have like 50 bajillion of these that I've had since I started. And I literally just like write out notes every single day of like this trade happened. Here's this. And anytime I write something that I don't know, like if it's like, um, you know, here's uh, the total of these contracts. And if I see a phrase, like I remember, and this is going to seem stupid, but like, I remember when I first started, I wasn't entirely sure about differences between like uh, zone coverages or, you know, what's man coverage? When do you switch? Like what happens? So if there's ever something that as I was reading, I didn't know, I would write it down separately look it up and like box it out and like write in definitions and write so literally it's like you write an encyclopedia for yourself that's what worked for me I don't know if it works for other people also asking lots of questions and I'm fortunate to be in a market where I mean shout out to god everyone I've ever worked with I mean the reporters like like Bob and Tim and all those guys are fantastic at work, Mike and G and, and Jake and, and later, um, you know, obviously Bump and, and Curtis, like everyone loves sports and they want to talk about sports and, and they'll share all kinds of insight. But um, yeah, I just, I, I think just really, really putting in the time to learn. And there's a surprising number of people that I'll hear talk about, like, as a woman, you notice it. And I don't know if you guys do, but I feel like I get pointed to a lot when I don't know something. And so you naturally develop this kind of filter for recognizing when someone doesn't know what they're talking about. And I see it all the time. Like It's just that a lot of other people don't. Like if you hear like, you know, an older guy on sports radio and he says something like, you know, uh, just factually incorrect. Most people don't bat an eye. But now I'm so used to seeing it because you kind of get nervous when you do it. And so it's, I think it happens a lot and people don't know as much. It's so hard to know everything about sports and we don't like it. It's just, even when you think you do, like my definition or understanding of X's and O's is very much filtered through analysts and reporters and, you know, football outsiders. I didn't sit down with Earl Thomas and ask him to walk me through the Seahawks defense. Like, you know what I mean? So even people who think that they know a ton is, is there, you're still missing out on a lot of information. So I think just, yeah, that was such a long convoluted <laughs> dumb answer, but, uh, but yeah, it's both an understanding of how much we all don't know and, and also a willingness to learn. What's the subject that's next for you to fill a book? Um, love to be better about hockey for sure i uh i picked up a couple books last year and um and i'm still diving in it is still a new world for me so so trying to get better about that and uh i'm also not super great with the nba so that one's a little been a little more fun that journey because it's just I, I just naturally am more inclined to like the sport so that's my next two to really be better I think that's you and like the rest of Seattle about hockey. I feel like it's like I never grew up understanding <laughs> hockey. We didn't have a team. So yeah. like so you you only watch marginally. So like I think that's totally normal. Um 
If I had one more question for you, Stacey, and maybe this is a pretty open-ended one, but is there anything in your career that you still really want to do moving forward? Um, you know, I'd love to um, find a way where some things... So I used to always shy away from mentioning um, pop culture or any like non-sports things um, because I thought that it would discredit me and and a stereotype that already existed. People would be like, of course she wants to talk about this. But in my experience, a lot of athletes and other reporters and coaches like talking about those things. So I'd love to find an avenue and one of my goals for my career, hopefully while here at Bonneville, is to find an avenue, whether it's a podcast, whether it's um, you know, written interviews where you can talk with people about some of the more interesting parts of their lives. Hi, welcome to like everyone's idea for sports. But an example, <laughs> an example would be when Jimmy Graham was still here, I was going around asking players like, um, what was your worst summer job? Like what was the worst summer job you had? And, um, a lot of people had really funny ones. And I, uh, I went up to Jimmy and I like cornered him. I think he was surprised. <laughs> so he ended up answering and actually interviewing with me. And he said that he worked on a pig farm and um, he was an older teenager and it was over a summer. And the, I don't know what it's called because <laughs> never worked on a farm, but the like little, the food dispenser thing broke. So he had to wheelbarrow the food to all the pigs and go back and forth and back and forth a bajillion times. And he was like, I put on like, 10 plus pounds of muscle over the course of a summer and little things like that ended up impacting his own athletic career. But he talked about like how he hated it. It was just the worst. It's like these hot days where you're like shoveling pig feed for hours. And then he ends the summer and he's super muscly and like big and strong. Like there's a story there and something really interesting there that I wish I would have followed up on. And I didn't even publish it. I have the audio of the interview and I didn't even publish because I thought like, oh, that's dumb. It looks like such a surface level story people are going to think I'm stupid that was, I should have done that like that's that's such an interesting story but I'd love to get back into those kinds of conversations last question for me so off of that who's the one person you would want to interview who's first on the list if you had access to them oh god um I would love to so I love reality tv <laughs> I wish I could find I want to find an athlete that is very into uh, a, like a TV show of some kind and simply talk about the TV show because I think that um, athletes, many athletes, not all athletes are naturally extroverted people and like a Quandre Diggs type is just so funny, not afraid to say their opinion, not worried about looking a certain way I, I would love to have like conversations about pop culture different TV shows, trending stories with, with like a really funny athlete that kind of catches you off guard with some of their jokes, that would be great I'll well, just—I uh, was going to say just to wrap this up. Uh, you mentioned reality TV states. Like I'll say it. I watched The Bachelor, so whatever yeah. it's worth. <laughs> it's worth yeah. a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I just thought I'd throw it out there. Like maybe I'd relate to you a little bit. You mentioned reality TV. I love it. I love. It. I love reality TV. I watch. I watch it all the time. And more people. I think more guys than some listeners realize. Whether it's because their partners do, or whether it's because they just watch it. Like it's. It, you know. You can have funny conversations about it the, the conversations and, and things are there it's fun i think 
I think that's more what it is. Like, I'll sit there sometimes and be like, like, legitimately, I don't know why I watch this show. But then I'll <laughs> go back the next week and do the exact same thing. That's exactly what I do. And I'll like, I'll give like a disclaimers when I have like, if I have like friends that are watching with me or like, you know, let's say we have a friend over and, uh, you know, we're watching it. I'll be like, I just want you to know, we know these are horrible people. But listen, here's what's happening. <laughs> Kyle and Mauricio and like, we're going through all of it. <laughs> right. And, and without fail, without fail, people will get sucked in. Right. Well, Stacy, we appreciate you taking some time. This has been, this has truly been fantastic. We t- appreciate you uh, taking some time to join us here today. And uh, yeah, so thank you, Stacy. Oh, love it. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Stacy Ross. Exactly like Mike Salk said, she was great. She was, like we said before the interview started, really knows her stuff. Interesting story, really funny, relatable, everything. So we enjoyed having her on. Really loved talking to her. Hope you guys enjoyed listening. And with that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast. You can do so wherever you get your audio side of your podcast. Make sure to download our episodes. Leave us those five-star reviews and follow the show if you do that. All that helps us out a ton. If you take a few extra seconds to do it, you're doing us a big favor. Watch on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe over there for the full video podcast. Follow us on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.